Now we're studying, going through the book of First Peter, and we are just, I'm just preaching expositorily through it. And so we just are breaking up the book, and we're just preaching what the Bible says. And so nothing, nothing I say is, is some kind of topic that I've concocted from my own head, or anyone else who has come up here um, recently, Mark and Jonathan, we're just preaching the word. And so, this is the word of the Lord, not the word of man. And I ask that anything that I say would just fall to the ground, but that you would receive the word as it, as it is from God. So, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we'll be looking at verses uh, 22 through chapter 2, verse 3. Let's read that. Having purified your souls for, by your obedience to the truth, for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass, and the grass withers, and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander, like newborn infants, Long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would use me in my weakness to communicate this word faithfully with your strength. Amen. The city of Philadelphia has a crime and drug problem from what I understand which is ironic because the word Philadelphia I was just talking to Gary yesterday the word Philadelphia means brotherly love it's a Greek word that means brotherly love and Philadelphia has become a city especially some sections of Philadelphia that are the exact opposite of that meaning I think, I actually watched a video one time of just, I forget, it. I think it was Allegheny County in Philadelphia, or Allegheny Street or something, but just drug-infested area where men and women are walking over, and I don't know what drug that is that makes you hunch your back over, but they're like folded in half, and they're walking around like, like ghouls and wraiths, and it's so sad. Um, there's one township in Philadelphia that has 201% more violent crimes than the rest of Philadelphia. 201% more violent crimes than the rest of Philadelphia, which is already very violent. And ironically, the name of that township is called Nice Town. <laughs> 
So not only is it in a city of brotherly love, but the most violent township in Philadelphia, from my research, is Nice Town. Tioga Nice Town. The name just doesn't match what is actually happening in Philadelphia. So I was th as I was watching this and reading up on Philadelphia, I thought about the church and thought that without brotherly love, without Philadelphia, then Philadelphia, the way it really is, is just a picture of a church without brotherly love, an affection for one another that comes from a true and pure heart. And people are just walking around half what they should and they could be. So, without love, and that's what the Apostle Paul says, right? You could have all the gifts, all the knowledge. Without a real brotherly affection in this congregation, without a strong desire for the good, the growth, the discipleship, the flourishing of one another, and really pressing into that, then we're just clanging gongs and noisy cymbals. No matter what gifts we have individually or collectively, without love, we are shadows of what we could be as a congregation. And so the Apostle Peter is writing to congregations. And he is telling them, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and as an apostle of Jesus Christ, to love one another with a brotherly, earnest kind of love. What is love? Okay. Love, my favorite definition of love is from an old dictionary, about 120 years old. It says that love, whether used of God or man, is an earnest desire for and an active interest in the well-being of the one loved. That's a good definition. It's an earnest desire and active interest in the well-being of the one loved. Now, we were talking on Wednesday night about love, and we said that love is the exact opposite of self-absorption. Right? Because by definition, love wants and does what is best for somebody. It is self-sacrificial action on the behalf of another person. That's the biblical concept of love. It doesn't just remain in the realm of, of one's inner soul. It actually manifests itself in some kind of action or word or, or deed done on behalf of another person. So love will very often make you strain so, it's the opposite of self-absorption. Um, I think if we trace Peter's thoughts today, Peter kind of shows us the logic of love. And so I just want to trace through the Apostle Peter's uh, logic, where he just gives us the command to love, and then he takes us into sort of a theological digression about the imperishability, the eternality, of God's word, and then he will tell us how, 
how to love one another. Nothing is exhaustive in this passage, but it is all comprehensive. Peter is just going to give us a comprehensive bird's eye view of why we are to love one another, kind of the basis for what binds us, and tangible ways we can actually do that. Let's look at those. The command to love first. Peter says in verse 22, verse 23, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of imperishable seed, but of, of not of perishable, but of imperishable seed through the living and abiding word of God. So, why should we love one another? Peter's logic is that we are to love one another because we've been born of the same spiritual seed. So, not to be vulgar, but there, there's, there's a um, divine insemination, almost, Peter is talking about. And you've been born of God. So you are born... We've, we've talked about this many times, but you are born of your physical parents when you enter through the world. When you place faith in Jesus Christ, you are born of God. And you receive the DNA of God through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, that's why the Apostle, Paul, Apostle Peter says, having purified your souls by the obedience to the truth for a sincere and brotherly love. As Christians... Your souls have been purified through the DNA of God, which is now vivifying your very spirits. And we've been born again, how? Through the living and abiding word of God. That is, the gospel message is what brings new birth. It's the gospel that brings new birth. And that should, that should comfort you in evangelism, by the way. Yesterday, I had an opportunity to get up and present the gospel to some who were probably unbelievers. And I could have felt a, a great pressure to persuade. But as Christians, your job is not to persuade. You're not the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say we've been born again through the persuasive elements of the speech or through the, through the theological acumen or apologetic abilities, although those are good, but by way of comfort and encouragement, the, the persuasion, the vivifying, that's up to the Holy Spirit. What we are to do is present the gospel, declare, just declare the message. And it, it's almost as if you're just a vessel and the Lord can work and will work through that. And so that, that is a freeing Way So if the Lord puts someone in your path, declare the message, share the message, tell the message, and if they reject it, they reject it. You know, Jesus said, I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. <clears throat> so yesterday, I said, uh, you know, if you don't feel like you are somebody in need of God's mercy and grace, then the Lord doesn't call you. He hasn't come to call the righteous. He's come to call the sinners to repentance. So if you do believe, 
that you're in need of God's mercy and grace. And he calls you to repentance and faith in Jesus Christ. And so I think it's very freeing to know that God will do the work. He does the vivifying. We just do the declaring and the proclaiming. And when you do, God will very often give life and cause someone to be born again through the living and abiding word of God. So if we have all been born of God's word, the Apostle Peter is saying, then we have the same spiritual DNA in us. And therefore, we are not simply individual sons and daughters, but we are brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. And that's why I kind of, I like to say brother and sister, because I, I keep wanting to throw out there to this congregation that there's a spiritual reality which tethers us together. Not just consumers, we're not just coming here, but we're actually, in reality, according to Scripture, brothers and sisters in virtue of our relationship with God the Father. Our relationship with God the Father doesn't just make us sons, it makes us brothers and sisters. That is very important to understand. And that's why church and going to church is important. Being part of a community that preaches the word, encourages one another, builds one another up, prays together, that is very important. Because you've not just been made a son, you've been made a brother and a sister. Now the Apostle Peter says, um, earnestly love one another. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Earnestly means with intensity. I like that word, earnest. It means sincere, intense, eager. So that means you actually have to put effort into loving somebody. It doesn't just flap on the table. Love, love isn't just something that comes out of the effulgence of some great emotion very often. But love is something you have to actually pick yourself up, tie your boots, and do this thing for a brother or sister. And men, whenever we talk about love, I feel like men kind of, you know, their eyes kind of glaze over. It's just, I mean, I, I hear you. I hear you. But I want to suggest to you that love is actually the most masculine attribute in Scripture. Because as men, we are called to sacrifice and die for other people. Right? We're, we're supposed to be not self... We're, it's not about protecting self. Right? As Christ loved the church, we are to love our wives and gave himself up for her. And so love is the opposite of self-absorption. It is self-sacrificial action on behalf of another. And so in that way, I think love is a very masculine attribute and so men you this call to love it is not it's not squishy it's not soft it's sacrificial and muscular i really want to redeem love as something that that's not pink you know 
or purple. I, I want to redeem love as something that is, is muscular as well. Now, there's a feminine expression of love, of course, and there's a masculine expression of love. But the Apostle Paul brings manhood and love together. In 1 Corinthians 16, I love the way he talks to the Corinthians. He says, be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, and let all that you do be done in love. Isn't that a great passage that just brings together masculine strength with love? Stand firm, act like a man, be strong, let all you do be done in love. So when I talk about love, I'm not talking about weakness or fear and trembling. I'm talking about self-sacrificial action for another person at cost to you. Which is why you have to be men inwardly muscular as well as outwardly muscular. And Brother Jonathan here is getting very outwardly muscular. I feel like I had to catch up with someone. Now notice the, uh, notice the presence of truth and love in this passage together. Okay? Having purified yourselves by obedience to the truth and for a sincere and brotherly love. So truth and love together. Right? It never, that was a problem with the, the free love movement. It never brought truth with it. There is no foundation for why one this this love ought to be free. And also, love took on just a, a sexual uh, undertone. But anyhow, truth and love is always brought together by the apostles. The apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 1, 3-5, I urged you, saying to Timothy... When I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain person not to teach any different doctrine. So doctrine is important. The teaching is important. We earnestly contend for the faith delivered to the saints, not some kind of ambiguous, amorphous kind of vague truths that kind of float around and hover over every religion and every... No. We earnestly contend for the faith delivered to the saints. So, earnest, then he says, charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love. That issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. The aim is love. So there's doctrine and love together. Brought together. Now I think I've, I think I've told you this guy, this before. Did I tell you the story about how I missed my, my dear, my eight point buck because I forgot to line up the peeps people alright I don't see any heads shaking so I'm going to just tell you the story when you bow hunt what you have to do is you have to pull back your bow and you have to line up what's called a peephole with your eye and so that your sight is in line with the people so that little um, sight there you can put right on the deer's vitals 
But if you don't have the peephole lined up with the sight, the shot's going to be off. So my problem was, you get something called buck fever. When you see a big buck come along, you get very nervous and you start to lose all of your practice. It's very hard to get your, your blood's pumping. You should see Wesley when we see a doe come out. He starts to lose his mind. And so, well, I did. I saw this big buck, the one I've been looking for. I pulled back, shot, went right under him. Missed the deer. And I realized afterwards I forgot to line up my peep sight with the actual sight itself. And so I use that, I always, I always think about that when I talk about doctrine and love because doctrine aims at love, right? And if you have the right doctrine and we're not building a community of self-sacrificial affection and kindness and willingness for the best of one another, that our doctrine is, is off the mark. We're just missing the target with our doctrine. You need both. You need both. You need the peep sight. But the aim of our charge, the apostle said, is love that issues from a pure heart, a sincere kind. Now, if you have love and you say, well, we don't care about doctrine, then you don't have a sight, then you're going to miss too. You, you need both according to scripture. Doctrine and love. Doctrine and love. Peter then goes into a kind of a theological digression, talking about the Word of God. So if you've been born again through the Word of God, it's not my it's not my persuasion, it's the Word of God that brings life to someone. He talks about the Word of God and compares it with grass. So he says. All flesh is like grass, and its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers, and the flower falls. But the word of the Lord remains forever. So Peter is picking up on the idea that the word, which is living and abiding, and it's the thing that you've been born again by, and he compares it with grass, and grass withers and flays. You ever bought a flower for your wife, and then it sits on the table, and two weeks afterward, it looks like this. It looks like uh, it looks evil almost. It's it's dying. It's the the red has turned black. What's that? That's never. Nydia takes very good care of her plants. I'm touching a a nerve. But the point is, without Without the word of God, things will perish. Our flesh is like grass. It's perishable. It will waste away. But the word of God abides forever. And Peter says in verse 25, And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So here the word of God, which we know is powerful and active, which we know is the, the means by which God created the word. This, world, this word is defined by Peter here as the gospel message itself, the message about Jesus Christ. So it is the word that was preached to us that gives life. Because if the word is preached to you and you receive it, 
then Christ will dwell in you through faith. So it's almost like the, the word about Christ, that is the gospel, and Christ himself are almost indistinguishable because if you get one, you get the other. So Christians, Peter is saying, have entered into an eternal and abiding life that's been implanted into us, rather, through the living and abiding word of God. Okay, so we should love, and the fact that we should love comes from the fact that we are brothers, that we're not just sons, we're not just daughters, we're brothers because we share the same spiritual DNA, we've been born again through the gospel of Jesus Christ, so how are we to love? Peter gives us some insight into that in verse 1. So put away all malice and all deceit in all hypocrisy and envy and slander. In verse 1, you see that Christian love requires the deliberate abandonment of bitterness and fakeness in the church. It requires us to abandon bitterness and fakeness in our congregation. So put away malice. Malice means bitterness against a person. It's the old leaven Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians. And that bitterness comes out in multiple ways that cut someone off from the love of God that could flow through you. Malice is one-upsmanship. Malice is talking <coughs> about the other person in order to tear them down. Put away deceit. Deceit means slyness. It means trying to get an advantage over someone by trickery. That is very interesting that he would include deceit in a list of vices that hurt a community. There are different kinds of deceit. But trying to get an advantage over someone by trickery would be something like pretending to act on good motives when actually you're motivated by selfish desire. Put that away. Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy means you put your game face on for church, you say the right things, you quote a few verses, and then when you go home, your life looks distinctly different. And those verses don't necessarily flow out of your mouth so freely. So you are pretending to be more godly than you actually are. Put that away. Envy. Envy is longing for what somebody else has that God has not given you. And that, leading, that leads you to despise the other person. Why do they have that? Slander is talking down probably behind someone's back in order to break them in the eyes of another person. 
Put those all away. Those are all fakeness. That's all fake and bitterness. Now you cannot be a vessel where fakeness and bitterness flow through you, even in subtle ways, and expect at the same time the stream of God's self-sacrificial love to flow through you as well. You're a vessel for one or the other, and your members are either slaves of righteousness or slaves of unrighteousness. The Apostle Paul says, speak evil of no one. So don't speak evil of people. Try to build them up. Now, that doesn't mean that we cannot accurately judge when somebody is out of line. Right? We need to be discerning. But you know what I'm talking about. It's, it comes from a heart. This kind of slander and malice comes from a heart that desires to tear another person down. So, if there is a church, if there is a church where these things exist in the congregation, it will be a church of fake love. Fake love, that's an awful thing to have in a church. Let love be genuine. And the Apostle Peter is just directly pointing out the tendencies that humans have. So, let's put those all away. Verses 3 and 4, or 2 and 3 rather. Church growth, and by this we mean spiritual growth, not numeric growth. Church growth requires not just putting things away, like fakeness and bitterness, but it means actually doing something positively that nourishes the congregation. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So it's not just about putting off old ways, Peter is saying, but positively seeking what nourishes the body. Now he says, now let's make something clear here. When you read the Bible, try to understand the author's intent for using word. So if we looked up the word infant, and we said, well, infant in 1 Corinthians 3 is bad, therefore it's always bad. That's not actually how to do Bible study. What you want to do is try to discern the authorial intent. How is Peter, inspired by the Holy Spirit, using the word infant in this context? Now we know in 1 Corinthians and Hebrews, infant stands for a spiritually immature person, and it's bad. And I cannot tell you how, how my heart is, is just frustrated with infanthood and evangelicalism. I fear that so many churches, for lack of Bible study, for, per, for performance on Sundays, for just fake community and lack of discipleship, are just creating and facilitating infanthood in the congregation. May that not be in our church. And 
if we're going to if we're going to avoid infanthood, that means not just me as the pastor disciples. That means you're discipling one another too. It means coffee and lunches together. It means spiritually building up one another. It means helping one another out. Um, don't forget, pastors and teachers are to equip the saints for what? The work of ministry. So, Church of the Vine, by God's grace, will not will never be a church and will will not be a church where it's just a top down, but it is a it is a vine that grows continually. So, Infant. Peter is not talking about infanthood in a negative sense here. He's talking about it in a positive sense. Maybe these are new Christians, but he's exhorting them to long for the healthy food so that they can grow up into salvation. Babies need milk. Right? Now, if you fed <coughs> Dr. Pepper to a baby instead of milk, that's going to be very unhealthy. And if you feed a congregation deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander, it's like pouring Dr. Pepper down their throat instead of the, the milk that comes from the mother. Humans need milk. Christians need milk. Long for that milk that nourishes and builds up the body. Interesting word here is... Long for the pure spiritual milk. Some of you in your Bibles have something like the Word of God, the milk of God's Word. The word is logikos. In, in Romans 12.1, Paul uses it to say reasonable, or in some translations, spiritual worship. It seems to be that that word logikos is connected to the word logos, which means more like the word. So what Peter seems to be saying is long for the pure spiritual milk that is the word of God. And the word of God not just being confined to scripture, but something like what Paul says in Colossians when he says, let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. And that means the message about Christ and the effects that it has in a community. Let me read you that passage in Colossians 3.16. The word of Christ seems to be the reality of Jesus Christ. Known by the word, taken root in the heart, and manifested in a community. <coughs> Let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness and your hearts. So Paul mentions teaching as one way to let the word of Christ dwell within you richly. That's what I'm doing right now. That's what we've been doing in Bible studies as, as some of the men have helped teach through Colossians admonishing in all wisdom, why that's private conversation that we get to have after service. That's meeting together during the week. That's home group after the teaching. Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Admonishing has the slant of rebuke. 
And as brothers and sisters, we should be able to take rebuke. And you should give it in a godly, encouraging way. And we should receive it in a godly, humble way. Singing with thankfulness. I love that Paul mentions singing here because that's what we do on Sundays. When we sing, congregation, when we sing, I want to hear everyone singing manfully for God's glory. I want, to, I want this place to be filled with the praises of God. So when you sing, sing for your neighbor to encourage her or him to sing as well. And let's be a singing church that, that sings out the praises of God with strength and some vigor. And I thank uh, Todd and Stefan for leading us in good God-glorifying songs. So, there's some ways we can let the word of Christ dwell within us richly. Or we can, we can actually long for the spiritual milk. Teaching the scripture, letting the wisdom of Christ be an encouraging or rebuking tool in our hands, singing out to one another. Bible study, we're, we're going to do another hymn. This You guys did a great job with the hymn on Wednesday. Let's do that again. That's letting the word of Christ dwell within us richly. So, in other words, spiritual growth of the congregation requires the congregation as a whole to put away and to put on certain things. And you teach and admonish one another, meet together, give godly encouragement, build one another up. Men, be strong, be watchful, act like men, like the Apostle Paul says, be strong and let all that you do be done in love. Let's be a congregation where Philadelphia is actually true about us, not just in word, but in action. Amen? Amen. Now, two people whom we love and their children. This is the last Sunday, Adam and Brooke. So I just want to, I just, I think this is a good thing to do to gather around them and pray. So I just want to invite everyone to rise from their seats. Let's go up to Adam and Brooke and we're just going to pray over them as, and send them off to, uh, Virginia, and then we'll close service out that way. I'll meet you up there. <laughs>